This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're two-week waiting our way into episode number 35. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and today we're going to talk about the third in our series of podcasts on getting pregnant and fertility issues. We talked first about tracking your fertility, then we talked about getting pregnant while breastfeeding or the return of fertility during breastfeeding. In this episode, we're going to talk about what to do when you're not getting pregnant. That can be a really stressful time anytime that you are thinking about getting pregnant and you can't for whatever reason it's stressful even if that's just because it's not the right time in your life and so you know this isn't the right time for a new baby but it's especially stressful when you're actively trying and you're not getting pregnant. Let's talk about some of the suggestions that I have for you if you're in that situation. The very first thing that I suggest is if you're not tracking your cycle that you do so. There are some arguments against this. Some women find it really stressful to do, especially if you've been tracking for a long time and you're struggling with uh, infertility issues that you really know are there. But if you're new to trying to conceive and you've tried for a month or so and things aren't happening, or even if you've tried for three or four months and things aren't happening and you're not charting, then this can be a really good idea of something to try. If you're not sure how to chart, I want you to go back and listen to episode 33. I'll put a link in the show notes because I cover different fertility signs and how to track those fertility signs in that episode. And I also list some good resources for you so you can use those. The reason why tracking your cycle is so beneficial is because, first of all, you make sure that you're trying at the right times. So uh, making love or having intercourse in order to have a baby online is often nicknamed baby dancing. So you need to know the right time to baby dance. And just like I talked about in episode 33 of the podcast, there's really only a day two days max a month that you release an egg and that's viable and a husband's sperm lasts for they live for three to five days on average and some remarkable ones they say can live for up to seven days but really that's that's still a pretty narrow window so assuming three to five days for him and then two days max for you and those two windows have to overlap for there really to even be a chance of conception you know um, outside of a miracle from God that's really a very narrow window every month and if you're tracking your cycle if you're charting then you can make sure that you're hitting that window this is especially good if you have irregular cycles but even if your cycles are very regular You may be surprised, or if you're going based on what you know from a textbook. For instance, a textbook says that you should ovulate on day 14 and then have a 28-day cycle and your period will start right after day 28. But what if you're not a textbook? What if you're actually ovulating on day 12 and you normally have a 26-day cycle? That's the case for me. You could be missing the boat if you're waiting until day 14. So that's a good reason to chart. 
Another good reason to chart is because it will help you get an idea of what's going on for certain problems. For instance, a luteal phase defect. And we'll talk about this more in a few minutes. But that means that the second half of your cycle, the half after ovulation, it may not be long enough. This is very common for breastfeeding moms who are experiencing return of fertility. And other women have a problem with this too. So even if you are conceiving, your body is unable to sustain the pregnancy because that luteal phase is just not long enough. And charting can help point things like this out. It can also help you realize that you're having anovulatory cycles, which means you're not even ovulating. All of this is important and can help you decide the best next action. The next thing that I would recommend is that you look at your diet. If you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, if you've checked out naturalbirthandbabycare.com, you know that I'm really big into, into diet and nutrition. I mean, even if you take my childbirth courses at mamababybirthing.com, the very first lesson that my students get is on nutrition. So I'm really big into diet, and I think it's very important. And I think it's very important for fertility. And science is definitely backing this up. There was a study a few years ago done of nurses who were having trouble getting pregnant. They were all having trouble with ovulation and adding full-fat dairy into their diet made a huge difference. It allowed many of the nurses who were previously labeled as infertile able to get pregnant and have healthy babies. So what does that indicate? To me, the biggest thing that that indicates is that a low-fat diet can be damaging to fertility and increasing the fat in your diet increases your body's ability to ovulate. All of the sex hormones need fat for their production and for your body to stay healthy with them. So if you're not eating enough fat, your body is not getting what it needs. That means that you need to eat good fats. So full fat dairy is a good fat. Um, the fat that you have with your meats is a good fat. There are some vegetable fats like olive oil, coconut oil, palm oil, red palm oil it's called sometimes. Avocados are very fatty. Those are all traditional forms of fat, but if it's a new fat, for instance, corn oil or soybean oil that require chemical solvents to extract them, those would not be considered healthy fats. So you can find fats that you feel comfortable with, either the vegetable fats like uh, olive oil, which is monounsaturated, and coconut oil. I would definitely recommend that you get some saturated fats in there like butter or coconut oil. Those are very good for your body and very good for hormone production, and they can make a big difference. Another thing to consider that kind of goes along with your fat levels is overall calorie level. If you're not eating enough calories, then your body could even shut down your cycles. So if you're experiencing uh, time periods where you're not even cycling, that could be amenorrhea, which is an absence of menstruation, and that could be related to a really low-calorie diet. Or if you're an extremely busy person, extremely active person, very athletic, then you may not be taking in enough calories to compensate for that. So look at your calorie level. If you're down there around 1,000 calories a day, that's probably not enough calories to get pregnant or to sustain a pregnancy if you, if you were to get pregnant. So look at that. You want to be up there uh, around 1,700, 1,800 calories. And then during pregnancy, you want even more than that, 24 to 2,600 calories a day to help sustain you and baby by around the midpoint of pregnancy and then through on or 
throughout the rest of your pregnancy. And during breastfeeding, you need a lot of calories too. So calories are important. You don't want to be going low calorie when you're trying to conceive. Now, other recent reports have shown that going low carb can help. And we'll talk about this again in a few minutes when we talk about PCOS. But if you're looking for a way to safely lose weight and maintain your fertility, then low carb could be the way to go. And ACOG, which is the American uh, College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, has even released a statement just recently, just in the last couple of months, summarizing some research that showed good results for women who went on low carb diets. So that and that meant really that they were getting a balanced diet, just low in carbohydrates. So it's not eating all butter and bacon, which is what I think the perception some people have of a low-carb diet is. It means that you're eating protein, you're eating fat, but you're also still eating many vegetables and and some moderate fruits, but many vegetables, just lower-carb ones. So salads and salad vegetables are all low-carb. Summer squashes are low-carb. Spinach is low-carb. Broccoli is low-carb, cauliflower, so you can get a wide variety of vegetables, and especially if you're getting your vegetables from the farmer's market, from a CSA, from your own garden, those vegetables are going to be very rich in antioxidants and especially full of minerals, and that's very beneficial for your fertility. Stress is another thing you're going to want to consider. I know that stress is very cliche. Everybody tells you, oh, just relax and it'll happen. So I even debated including this in the, in the recording, but in the end I decided that it was important enough to have in there. Because they do, studies do show that if you're in a really stressful situation, if life is just feels really overwhelming for whatever reason, it could hinder you from getting pregnant. And sometimes even the stress of trying to get pregnant can keep you getting pregnant. Isn't that cruel? But it's true. What should you do for stress? I'm not going to tell you to you should completely let go of stress in your life because that's totally unrealistic. But you can take practical steps to handle the stress. And in fact, some stress is good for you even while you're pregnant as long as you resolve the stress because it helps it helps you program your baby's body to understand that stress is temporary and to understand how we deal with stress. So during the time that you're trying to conceive or that you're preparing to conceive is a good time to get in these habits. So if you have a stressful life situation or if you're in a stressful job situation or you have a stressful day, that's okay. When you get home, take time to consciously relax. One thing that can be really powerful is after the immediate stressful situation is over, you take a few minutes to think about something you really enjoy. So you could think about something like going for an ice cream cone, or you could think about that nice shower that you're looking forward to taking, or you could think about looking forward to sitting down and relaxing and and just spending the evening with your husband watching a good movie or something. Or you could think about Friday when you're going to go for a hike and how wonderful that will be and how beautiful things will be for for you on that hike. So just thinking in those situations, just thinking about something positive can help bring your stress levels down. And I mean, there are so many other practical things you can do for stress relief, but I really think that that in the moment stress relief is a good skill. But also make sure you're just you're taking care of yourself and you're giving yourself a break from the stressful situations. I know that sometimes it feels like stress never ends, 
that that stressful situation is always there. And that's when you should be really intentional about even carving out a moment to take the time to say, okay, this is really stressful. My life's really stressful. So I'm going to read a book that I really enjoy, or I'm going to take a nice long hot shower. And then think about ways that you can change ways that you can really change your life. So can you relieve stress in this manner or can you deal with this situation differently? Sometimes the stress centers around other people, your in-laws or your boss. Can you deal with this situation differently? Is there a way that you can stand up and advocate for yourself to help create a better situation for you? Even if it's sometimes stressful situations or things like you've had to move in with your in-laws and your husband's cool with that, but you and your mother-in-law clash or you and your father-in-law clash. And so it feels like you're living in stress. And that's the type of situation where I would really encourage you to think about how you can handle that with being intentional about handling it in a mature way, but also in a way that helps give you a break. So maybe that means you spend a little bit more time at the library, or maybe it means that you schedule your time in the kitchen at a different time than your mother-in-law is in the kitchen. Or you become involved in volunteer work that can take you away from the house. That sort of thing. And that's just for that particular situation. But you can see that there are practical ways to handle stress. And you can probably think about your situation. Or you can ask online on a mommy forum or even on your trying to conceive forum, a TTC forum, for advice. You can ask for advice from, I mean, from books. There are probably books at your library that have different information, information on keeping the house clean if you're feeling overwhelmed with housework, information on dealing with people or dealing with your boss if you're having a problem in that way. There are so many different resources, and I would encourage you to look for those. This is also, I thought that this would be a good time during this podcast to talk about aromatherapy because aromatherapy is an essential oils are really becoming popular and you'll hear a lot of information about them and you may be wondering are they valid for fertility and they are and one thing that they can really help with is stress relief they can also help with many other things they can promote healing they can boost immune function they can boost endocrine function but one thing that they do really well is helping with emotional issues. So it's really good to have an idea of what they can do in a stressful situation. And you can use essential oils for fertility in many different ways. You can use you can use essential oils topically on the skin, sometimes with a carrier oil. You can breathe them in like steam inhalation. You can also take essential oils internally. I'm not going to go over a lot of specifics here. I definitely want you to research more, and I'm going to link to you link you to an article on essential oils and and fertility so that you can look into that more. But but um but it is safe to take some essential oils internally, so that's something that you should know. But a couple just a couple of the really good ones are chamomile, which is very relaxing and it helps you to to just cool down to let things go to unwind it's the same reason why chamomile tea is recommended for for relaxing geranium this one's really good throughout the childbearing year i'm not really crazy about the smell of geranium but we have geranium around the house because it's a good bug repellent and we live uh, on property that's got a lot of woods and things but geranium is really good it, it just it's a stimulant that helps to balance the hormones and then if you get geranium to help you balance the hormones 
uh, keep it around because it's it's also very good at helping balance postpartum hormones. And even throughout pregnancy, it can be used, but many moms really like it postpartum. So those are just a couple. There are many more, clary sage, lavender, jasmine, just some classic essential oils there, also very good for fertility. So I'm going to link you to, to an article on it, and they have a video too that's really good, and I think that that will be helpful to you if that's something you're interested in. So you've taken care, you're tracking your cycle, you've checked out your diet, you're wondering or you're looking at your stress levels and taking care of those. What do you do next? There are some basic tests that you can consider. I would say that you probably don't want to go run off for testing immediately. But once you've tracked a few cycles, you've got, you know, two to three months, three to four months, what different doctors and midwives want you to do varies. But that I would say that if you've been tracking your cycle for two to three months or for three to four months and you haven't gotten pregnant, it's an appropriate time to call your midwife or call your doctor and, and talk with them about it. But there are some, some standard tests that may be good to be run. Thyroid problems can prevent pregnancy for some women, and that's a pretty simple test to go in and get done. Many doctors and midwives are willing to do that for, for women. Vitamin D levels are another thing that's really come up in recent years that if moms have low vitamin D, they may have trouble conceiving. So that might be something that needs to be looked at. Just your overall nutrient levels, just an overall physical assessment, an overall regular uh, complement of labs can be done to help to help evaluate how well your body is dealing with nutrients, what your nutrient stores are. Those can be really helpful. And you may want to get those, talk the results over with your doctor or midwife and decide if you're going to supplement with anything from there or if you need to take anything prescription, for instance, like a thyroid supplement. That could be a good place to look too. Next places that you look, look at your chart, and this all these things would really be concurrently with getting tests done. But I, I mentioned the luteal phase a few minutes ago, and looking at your chart is going to really point out things like you're not ovulating or luteal phase defects. And a luteal phase defect, again, means that the luteal phase is not long enough to sustain a pregnancy. When you see that, there are things that you can do. First of all, adding more fat into your diet can go a long way towards helping correct a luteal phase defect. Taking cod liver oil can help with a luteal phase defect. And of course, that's a concentrated source of fat that you're getting every day because it's an oil. It also contains a lot of vitamin A and vitamin D, which are very good for your fertility. Very good for your fertility and in fact, vital for your future baby's brain. So that's very good, and that can help. Just adding more fat in that supplement in particular can help overcome a luteal phase defect. Another thing that can really help is your night lighting. And this can also help if you find that you're having anovulatory cycles or if you're ovulating late in your cycle. So maybe you have long cycles even without a luteal phase defect, but you're not ovulating until day 18 or day 23. And then you have a normal luteal phase, so your cycles are really long, getting into 30 and 40 days long. Night lighting can sometimes help with this. Lunaception is the name, and I honestly did not go look up the, the gal who came up with this concept. So I don't know her name right off the bat, but I'll find something and link to it. But lunaception is is what this has been called and there have actually been a lot of scientific studies and there are even products on the market now that are meant to help simulate this. 
but essentially what you what it is is that females when they live in close contact with nature so if you're looking back in the bible days when ladies all lived in tents or even during the pioneer days when we when we rose and slept according to the sun's patterns and we weren't so reliant on electric lighting and city living and that sort of thing women's cycles tended to be synchronized not only with the other women in their house and the other women in their village or town but they were also pretty much synchronized with the moon and ovulation tended to happen around the time of the full moon Luniception looks at this tradition and the power of the moon or light, really it was light, on the cycles of a woman. And the theory is, is that if you sleep in the dark, in the very dark, so this means that you close your blinds at night, you may even go so far as to blocking light that's coming in through a door frame or something, and you don't, you don't have lights on in your room, no night lights, no lamps on, no really bright clocks, all of that stuff is off. You sleep in the dark for the first part of your cycle, and then when you're moving to where you want to ovulate, so two to three days before you want to ovulate, you sleep with the light on. Then after you ovulate, you go back to sleeping in the dark. And that light actually helps encourage your body to ovulate because different there are hormonal things that happen when your body is exposed to that light. And it may take a few months, but your body will get to where, will often get to where that actually really helps regulate cycles. And it's something that's not talked about a lot. Like I said, there are studies being done now, but it hasn't been talked about a lot. And Luniception was found, I think, back in the 70s is when she made this quote-unquote discovery. But really, she delved into this and talked to friends and other women, and so many women tried it. And they actually used it, you know, to figure out when they could conceive and, and when they wanted to space children when they weren't going to conceive. And it had very good results. So that's something you can think of. And I think it's especially valuable if you are having a luteal phase defect or if there's your ovulation is happening later in your cycle than you would really want. Make sure that you're sleeping in the dark and then sleep with that light on for the two to three days before you want to ovulate and then turn it off and do this for a few months in conjunction, conjunction with the other things like tracking your cycle and diet, adding more fat in. And you may find that you get good results with that and that your cycle normalizes and that your luteal phase length increases. There are so many other issues that can be involved with fertility. I said that we would talk about PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. PCOS is a big problem for so many women now. And it seems to have some roots in, or it does, it does, it's not seems to. It does have roots in things like, uh, I'm, I'm, I've totally lost my train of thought here. It has roots in metabolic disorder, in insulin resistance of the body, and so it's related to diabetes and that entire family of diseases. And, and the women who experience this are at more risk for diabetes. And many of the strategies that work to really help address insulin resistance make a big difference for women with PCOS. This is where the low-carb diet is especially good. Weight loss can be helpful, though some women with, with PCOS are very thin already. But look at something like a look at something like a lower lower carbohydrate diet because that 
that removes a lot of the insulin issues, the insulin spikes and issues that the body is having to deal with. Remember that all carbohydrates are sugar. So that's whole grain breads. All of that is a carbohydrate. And so you really want to minimize that. But you don't want to go to don't eat just, you know, meat and, and cheese and cottage cheese and bacon and butter. Don't eat just that. You want to eat plenty of vegetables too. That means eating salads, spinach, broccoli. The summer squashes are pretty low carbs. Even some tomatoes uh, are avocados. Those are all good really good nutrient-dense veggies. You want to get those in because your body really needs those antioxidants and those minerals when you're trying to conceive. So you do want the protein sources and the healthy protein sources. You do want the healthy fats, which we already talked about. But you also really want those veggies. And you just want to go easy on the carbohydrates. There are even some fruits like berries, for instance. Very nutrient-dense and also quite low-carb. And berries and heavy cream together, frozen berries and heavy cream, that's a heavenly little treat right there. So nutrition is a good place to start. You can also look into to different herbs and supplements, and I'll link to more information on all of this. But Vitex is one that some women works really well for them. Other women totally messes things up. So that one is a really, it's a very personal, but it's an herbal supplement that you can try like I said, helps some women. It is gentle and can correct hormones, but other moms or other women really have their cycles messed up by it. So that's a personal thing. Uh, again, the omega-3s, the good fats are very helpful. So I will I will link to you more information on PCOS. PCOS excuse me. Endometriosis is another one that moms have problems with or women have problems with that cause fertility issues. And this is where the the lining that builds up in the uterus to help sustain a pregnancy ends up building up in places that it shouldn't in the abdominal cavity, uh, even in the cervix, and it can cause problems with infertility. It can also cause a lot of pain, especially with menstruation, and there can be pain all month long. The women, there are different, they think there are different causes for en endometriosis, but one thing that's generally agreed upon and has been known for a long time is that pregnancy can actually be a really good treatment for endometriosis. And some women find that after having a successful pregnancy that they don't have problems with endometriosis anymore. Some women still do. But uh, there, there can be things that can be done. One option is, is surgery that can be done to help clear things up. And that helps some women, especially with severe endometriosis. Then there are also different hormones and medications that can be helpful. But start with, you can consult your doctor, see what he or she says, consult your midwife. But start with, with looking at your diet. You may want to remove all gluten-containing grains. So again, a low-carb diet could be helpful because you're getting rid of the gluten. Some, some people feel like you should get rid of dairy products because they can be congestive. My suggestion would be that you get rid of pasteurized dairy. So if you have a farmer that you can get clean raw milk from or that you can get raw cheese from, if you can make your own yogurt or kefir at home from those, then that's okay. But you may want to limit pasteurized dairy, which is the dairy that seems to be congesting because all of its enzyme content has been removed. Though if you are able to get grass-fed 
milk that's been vat pasteurized, which means it's pasteurized at the traditional temperature. It's not ultra pasteurized. And culture that into kefir at home or into yogurt. That might work because you're putting some of the beneficial stuff back in. But really you want dairy product that hasn't had its enzymes damaged. Um, then there are some meats. They say it may be beneficial to avoid some meats, especially if it's not grass-fed. If it's feedlot beef or, or pork or that sort of thing then you may want to avoid those. Soy, you definitely want to avoid. In fact, if you're having any fertility problems whatsoever, please avoid soy. And if you're having any if you're having any babies whatsoever, please avoid soy. You can have soy in traditional quantities like moderate amounts of soy sauce. And think about if you look at a traditional Japanese meal, they have tiny cubes of tofu on top of their miso soup, and that's their soy. They're not eating soy burgers and soy turkeys and all this kind of soy frankenfoods that we have nowadays that's too soy is pretty has pretty powerful hormonal effects so you want to avoid that so avoid feedlot animals that are conventionally processed avoid soy avoid pasteurized dairy uh, avoid franken oils just all of those things can be inflammatory to the body and you want a clean you want a clean diet to start with especially if you're dealing with an inflammatory condition like endometriosis. Getting essential fatty acids just like for PCOS and everything else is good. Trying to avoid environmental toxins is good. Some women find that cleansing is very good and this can be helpful for any women who are having fertility problems. I'll link you to some more information on cleansing because I've got a good source of that too. Uh, and then there are herbs that can help. Taking a good prenatal vitamin and um, maca is one that helps. Maca, maca is a really good fertility herb and I like it because it's actually a food and royal jelly or bee pollen are another one though if you have any bee allergies you shouldn't take those. But those are all, they're really foods and cod liver oil for instance is a food so instead of being a supplement it's really something that's a whole food and that's why herbs are good too especially if you're having for instance an herbal tea but if you're having it uh, tinctured or in a capsule, think about it like a medicine more than like a food and just watch your dose and do your research. So I'm going to link to more information specifically about PCOS, specifically about endometriosis. One thing that I forgot to talk about was progesterone levels. I meant to talk about that in the luteal phase and I just skipped it and looked over my outline and see it now. So progesterone levels may be low. That could cause a luteal phase defect. And your doctor or midwife can prescribe you a progesterone cream or a progesterone suppository or pill to take. You can also get over-the-counter ones, and some moms have success with that. Some moms find they need a prescription strength one, and that can help to sustain a low luteal phase. So that may be something you want to cover with your uh, doctor or midwife too. We talked about breastfeeding in episode 34. And that's something to think about if you're having trouble getting pregnant. Breastfeeding can cause infertility. And go back and listen to episode 34 if you're dealing with that because I cover a lot of suggestions for if you're wanting to get pregnant and your cycles haven't, ret excuse me, haven't returned or they're not normal yet. So that's something to think about there. If you want further information just on getting pregnant and on different infertility issues, 
I talk about a lot of those on naturalbirthandbabycare.com sister site, which is getting-pregnant.com. So that's getting pregnant with a hyphen between them. Getting-pregnant.com. I cover all the basics of charting, and I also go into more detail on fertility diet, on fertility supplements that you may want to consider, and on different fertility conditions. I'll link to that in the show notes along with the other articles that I've mentioned. And I want to let you know that if you're hoping to get pregnant and you're having trouble, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you because I know how hard it is to want a baby when it's not the right time or when things aren't are just not happening. So my thoughts are with you and I'm praying for you. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please head over to iTunes and give me a rating. The ratings are really helpful and they help more moms and dads get access to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. And if you're preparing for your baby right now and would like a guide to preparing for a natural birth and more information on a healthy pregnancy, head over to Trust Birth 101, Trust Birth 101. Dot com and you can sign up to get your free guide to preparing for birth and lots of goodies for you for a healthy pregnancy and for bringing up baby and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.